In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. It's always, it's always a joy for me to come back. I say home, even though we were really only here for four years, and I've been in Alaska twice as long as I was here. But this is where I feel like I was born as a priest. It's where I was ordained and taught and instructed, so it feels like home to be with you all, and you all are my family. When I was in seminary and uh, in a homiletics class, our professor, Father Michael, who's now Bishop Michael DeHulich, always lamented about his least favorite gospel to preach on because it comes up three times every year. And he would always say, not the pigs again. <laughs> and even when I was here at St. John's and we had Father Theodore and Father Timothy and the deacon and I, all four of us taking turns, I always seemed to get the pigs. <laughs> and I thought Father Theodore did it on purpose. Probably not. Deacon said he thought he always got them, so we all feel like we get the pigs. So when I got a hold of Father Matthew and told him I'd be here this weekend to bring my two oldest sons down and to visit with my mom, who is sick as you know, he said, that's great, I'm going to be gone so you can preach. So I said, okay. So I looked up the gospel, <laughs> and it was the pigs again. <laughs> and I lamented to Presbytera that I had to do the pigs again. I thought I was escaping the pigs coming here. And she said, well, honey, don't you think if it comes up so often that maybe there's something really important? Said, Thank you, Pres. <laughs> and she's, she's right. But something is very important, very fearful, and tragic. Christ goes so far out of his way to encounter, in this gospel, in Matthew, it's two demoniacs, and the other synoptic gospels, Luke and Mark, it's one demoniac who has so many demons that his name is Legion. This is the same story told a little bit differently. But Christ goes out of his way to encounter this man because he loves him. And he is his creature created in his image and likeness. And he's not meant for possession. He's not meant for degradation. He's meant for glory. So we have this tragic story of this man who's possessed, these two men who are possessed. But that's not the worst thing. That's not the biggest tragedy in this gospel. The biggest tragedy is not the fact that these demons enter the herd of swine, the famous pigs, and destroy them, though it should wake us up a little bit. Because this is what the demons want for you and I. They hate the human race, just like their leader Satan. They're jealous, and they hate us. And in today's day and age, we don't like to speak this way. We like to keep everything kind of even keel. We don't like to be honest about what's really happening. But there are really demons. And we can be affected by them. And they do hate us. And they do want to destroy our souls. So the pigs rushing down into the water is only an image of what they wish to do to you and I, to destroy us. I was here at an exorcism here at St. John's with Father Theodore back in his old office. And it was at first terrifying. But then you see the powerlessness of the demons. They really have no power over Christians. They have no power over the church. They have no power over God. They can only do what He allows and what we allow them to do. 
The worst tragedy, I think, in this gospel is what happens next. Because the Gadarenes or the Gergesenes, depending on which gospel we're reading, today it's the Gergesenes, instead of being impressed by this, instead of falling to their knees in awe at what happens, the gospel says they beg, they beg Jesus to leave. They cared more about their livelihood than the power of God. They thought nothing of their immortal souls, but only of how to make money, and that this man was ruining everything by destroying their pigs. So they asked him to leave. Not ask, they beg. And this is the biggest tragedy of the gospel. And I think it's a warning to us as well, because we can do the same thing. Perhaps not in exactly the same way, but similarly. If we want to know why, possibly, they behave this way, we can look at the epistle reading for today. Because St. Paul is reminding those who were Jews who become Christians, and really all of us, because we can all do this, that if we're not being converted in our heart, and if all these things that we do are done out of legalism, or out of religious custom, or ethnic custom, then they're missing the mark. And if we're doing these things without our heart, that means Christ isn't really present in them. And as a convert, and even as a clergyman, I fall prey to this. I know what it's like to go through life being religious, but not being Christocentric. Of observing the law, but not allowing the law to penetrate my heart and soften it. Of keeping the rules without keeping Christ inside. St. Paul says that everyone who has faith may be justified, but Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by it. But the righteousness based on faith is more important. At the end he says, Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For man believes with his heart, and is so justified. Man believes with his heart, and is so justified. And he confesses with his lips, and is so saved. If we look at the Gospel, and read really the entirety of the Bible, it is a history lesson of Christ's love for humanity, of God's love for humanity, beginning with the Jews. Yet the Jews fell into this trap of setting up their own law. They took the law that God gave, and they used it to set up a way of self-justification. The Pharisees had it down perfectly, and they could make themselves feel good. They made themselves feel righteous, better than everybody else, because they could keep the law better than everybody else. But nothing entered here. So that when the whole point of the law came, the person, Jesus Christ, who is God, they couldn't recognize it. They missed it. What good is the law if it doesn't lead to Christ? We could say, what good is prayer? What good is fasting? What good is almsgiving? What good are the services? What good is Holy Communion? What good is the creed? What good is the incense, the vestments, the icons? What good is it at all if it doesn't lead us to Christ? 
As a pastor of a parish with many converts, even those who were born into the faith, but at some point in their life committed themselves to really know their faith and to live it, I know there comes a point when we might say it's burnout. But we come to a point where prayers get dry. The feelings we used to have, we used to love to go to church, to hear the hymns, those feelings are gone. It's a struggle to pray. Maybe in the beginning we overcame some of the big passions that we struggled with early on. But after 10, 12, 15 years, we seem to be confessing the same exact things over and over and over and over again. And when we start to wonder, what am I doing? What is this all for? How come I'm not changing? How come it seems like God isn't really there? And we start to get down on ourselves and fall into what the church might call spiritual listlessness or despondency. The Greek word is akidia, akidia. It's not depression, but it really means we give up. It starts here. We give up in our heart because we don't think anything's working. It's too hard. I can't overcome these things. I'm not making any progress. I'm going to stop trying. Little by little. It's not overnight. It happens little by little. And this is, of all the demons here prevalent in the United States, this is the one that I see most often, that I battle against personally, and that I see in the lives of my parishioners, and everybody else I talk to in the Orthodox world. The demon here wants to make us numb, to make us go through life just doing things, coming to church, saying some prayers, but not really allowing those things to penetrate the heart. And before we know it, we become legalistic, just like the Jews were. Now when I encountered this in my own life, I was very, very alarmed and I got really down on myself. And I read a book and I was at a friend's house yesterday and I saw it on their counter. And we all said how much we loved and appreciated it. What an important message was it was for us. Remember Thy First Love by Father Zacharias, who presents the theology of Elder Sophroni soon to be a Saint Sophroni of Essex, of blessed memory. And Saint Sophroni reminded all of us over and over again that the spiritual life comes in three phases. In the beginning is the easy part. It's our conversion. Whether we're born into the faith or convert to it. We pursue God with eagerness. He gives us candy. Everything is sweet. It feels good to pray. It feels good to be in the church. We feel at peace. We're eager. We have energy. And we go after it. And then after a while, God's grace, with grace withdraws slowly. And we begin to feel that absence and things get hard. It's a struggle. We feel like we're not making any progress. And the bad news is, he says, we stay in this second tier of the spiritual life for most of our life. That's where we spend most of our life, is in this phase of our spiritual life, where things are a struggle. The good news is, he says it's okay. It's normal. It's what's supposed to happen. God doesn't want to save us without our own will. He loves us so much that He lets us struggle for it, so that we can have a share in our salvation, that it's not just handed to us for nothing, that we work for it. You know what it's like to save. We know what it's like to buy something on credit and then pay it off later. But how much more joy we have, especially as a child, saving up money for something that we really, really want. 
And what joy we have when we finally take that money in, in a jar and set it on the counter and get that thing we wanted so bad. What joy we have. And it's similar with the spiritual life and with our salvation. God allows us to work and to struggle even though we don't like it. Even though it doesn't feel good, even though it's hard. So that we can have a share in the joy when we finally reach this third phase of our spiritual journey. Where God's grace returns with abundance. Recognizing our humility. Seeing our effort. Seeing how we've been humbled over time by falling to our passions over and over again. The humility that comes when we go to our Father Confessor and confess the same sins over and over and over again for 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, 25 years. Only the demons want us to get discouraged and want us to quit. Christ says, get up and fall again. You know that story, right, of the monk? A young child asked, what do you do here at the monastery? And he said, we get up and we fall and we get up again and we fall and we get up again and we fall and we get up again and that's what we do here at the monastery and this is the Christian life my brothers and sisters we fall and we get up again and we fall and we get up again the danger during this part of our spiritual journey is to fall into akidia to stop trying to look at the mountain instead of one step ahead of us and say it's too high I'll never ever make it I'm just not going to try anymore. That's the danger. But the grace and the joy in this time of our spiritual journey is that we get up when we fall and we go to confession and we feel lighter and we feel God, we feel Christ draw nearer to us and we know that He loves us and we know that we will be saved through His mercy and love. The Gergesenes or the Gadarenes, though they were mostly pagan and not Jews, weren't focused on their heart at all. They were living out here in the senses. We have a lot of things that bombard our senses. Smartphones have opened up a whole new world. And young people especially, I see, are being bombarded with things that they're not spiritually prepared to handle. And they get overwhelmed by them. And they fall into despondency at 16, 17, 19 years old. We have more depression in this country than we've ever had. And I believe it's related to these devices that open up a whole new world to us, both good and bad. My brothers and sisters, we don't want to be like the Gergesenes or the Gadarenes or even those Jews that made the law a way of self-justification. We don't fast so we can feel better about ourselves. We don't even go to confession so we can feel better about ourselves. We don't come to church so we can feel better about ourselves. We do all of these things so that Christ will enter our heart and purify it and save us. Let's try, for those of you who are with me in this part of our spiritual journey, to slog through the mud, keeping our boots on, and not being afraid and not being discouraged, but looking up to Christ who strengthens us and through whom we can do all things. Let's not grow despondent and quit trying. Because this is what the devil wants for us. May God give us the courage to keep on striving, even when things are difficult, even when we don't feel like we even love Him or even know Him. And may He give us little bits of grace, little bits of encouragement along the way so we can feel His nearness 
and draw us deeper into repentance and humility so that at the end he can return more fully with his grace and we can feel his love in a more beautiful and complete way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.